All right, we're live. We're live. What's up, guys? John Sintes here, Cutter Nation Podcast. First off, I'd like to thank our sponsors here, Brain Armor. They got this Focus Fix. It's awesome, awesome little packets. They go into some water. I love it. It's got omegas and some awesome stuff in it, really, to sharpen your focus. They also have the, let's see, the can uh, nutrition here, certified athletic nutrition. We got some great protein. This stuff's really good. I really like it because it's got some MCT oil and zero sugar with 30 grams of uh, protein in it. Love that. Tasting great. They also make a sick, really good, clean protein. I have this about two times a day. I love it because I'm addicted, even though I'm not playing anymore, but it is what it is. Also, don't forget to go check out the website. You can get some of the gear. It's cold over here in San Diego. I don't know why. It's not why I moved here, but it's, you know, we got hoodies. We got everything you can get on there. But without further ado, a fellow queso thrower, which I'm excited. I haven't had a thrower myself. Tyler, now let's see, is it Ansman? Ansman? Yep, just Ansman, yep. Ansman, Ansman. All right, man. What's up, dude? You know, How you doing? Uh, welcome to the show. Appreciate having you on. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, so where are you at? Where are you from? Let's get into your little bit of a history. Okay. Yeah, so uh, I am from Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, it's where I'm currently at right now. I'm sitting in my living room here. Um, <clears throat> so I grew up in Carroll County, which is like 45 minutes northwest of Baltimore City. I live in the city right now. Um, so if you hear any background noise, that's probably why. Um, so I grew up out in the county. I went to uh, Westminster High School. Um, it was like a, I, I don't know, kind of like a small town type type deal. We're 45 minutes from Baltimore, about an hour from D.C. So we're kind of like in the middle of everything. Um, but it's still like it's it's pretty country out there. Um, so I grew up playing baseball there. Uh, went on to a small Division three school in Baltimore County. I, well, actually, I went to a small school in Virginia first, then transferred after my freshman year to a small school in Baltimore County. Um, and then, honestly, during slash after that is really like when my throwing, playing, training journey kind of all started. Um, when I was in high school, so when I left high school, I was probably like 85 miles an hour as a senior. So I had like a few division three spots that I had like the opportunity to go to went to one. Uh, the first one I started at for whatever reason I went and I had the least interest. Uh, they, they had the least interest in me when I went there. So that was mm -hmm. probably not my best decision. Um, ended up transferring out of there uh, and went to a school that was like probably half an hour from where I grew up. Um, and the coach gave me kind of a lot of freedom to do what I wanted to do, which is what I was looking for. Um, to be able to train the way I wanted to for not to be like playing for like an old school coach who restricted what I could and could not do. I'm so jealous of that. Oh my yeah. God. I'm so jealous that you're smart enough to do that. So how old are you? I'm 28 right now. I just turned 28. So right, I'm, th I'm 32. So yeah, we were kind of like right in that range right there. So that's such yeah. a smart move. God, I'm jealous of that move. What, yeah, well played. So, dude, I honestly, I kind of backed into it. So I was playing, um, I was playing summer ball in it was called the maryland collegiate baseball league so it's like uh, just a normal mediocre college baseball summer league um i was playing in that and i happened to be playing on this team where a lot of my teammates went to it's called stevenson university they went there so the head baseball coach happened to be at this game that i started um and this was like I, so at that point i don't know if this was like your life too but there weren't like a lot of radar guns just like at these games, right? It's yeah, just exactly. Like, yeah. Like, oh, I feel like I'm throwing kind of hard, but like don't have any objective data to like back that up. So it was kind of like that. Uh, she's like, man, talked to my head coach. and was like, hey, I feel like this guy's throwing pretty hard. I looked at his stats. He's got no innings last year. 
like <laughs> tell him to tell him to get his release so that I can talk to him and I'll kind of like let him know what I have to offer. And so I went and did that, got my release, talked to the coach and he was like, look, I'm not going to guarantee that like you're going to be like our ace or anything like that, but you'll get your chances. You're not going to have zero innings. He's like, worst case scenario, if you suck, you're going to get five innings next year. <laughs> that, that sounds better than no innings. Um, so I, I called my coach at my other school and I was like, Hey, you know, just out of curiosity, like, what do you see as my role for next year? Because I had come off like a good fall. And then there was like some headbutting that kind of went off from like, I, I kind of gave you a little preview. Of, I wanted to do my own training. I did my own training while I was there. And that was not uh, okay by like the coaching staff and like some of the seniors. And like, so that call that caused like some problems, which that's on me to some degree as well, obviously. Um, so I asked him like, kind of what's my role going to be? And he's like, you're going to compete for a spot on the team. And I was like, okay, that doesn't sound <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, so I called him back like two days later. And I was like, Hey man, I'm, I appreciate like, you know, what you've done for me. Uh, but I'm transferring. So I'll see you in conference play. Cause I transferred to a school in the same conference. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it kind of, it kind of went on like that. I, you know, I get to Stevenson, um, kind of get to do my own training. Like had some okay results in the fall. Like I threw, kind of hard so i'd been on a, i got on a radar gun for like the first time in however long that fall and i was up to like 87 i was like okay cool like i'm making progress like because i've been training really hard like whatever at that point i was still doing like a lot of distance running and i was lifting like every day like it was just like i was way too enthusiastic and not like intelligent enough about my planning to like actually see like the best results i could have um so fast forward kind of like to the end of my career and I'm like 87, Wait, 88 in college. So, so real quick, what year yeah. is that? What Because I have a theory on all this stuff. Yeah. Um, what so year I, was that, that freshman year right there? My freshman year was 2008, 2009. So I graduated high school in 08. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I was 04. So, okay, cool. That's So my theory on this, which I think is super cool, that's like the birth of the – Facebook, YouTube, Twitter video era where yeah. they like allowed the video to go and stuff in there. And I really think that like was like <laughs> the catalyst for information exchange and stuff, you know? For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think honestly, so the biggest thing that I think benefited me and made me like realize that, like, Hey, I need to do things differently than I'm doing. Cause like, so all through middle school, high school, whatever, I, I had always had like coaches and pitching coaches have been like, you just need to throw, don't lift any heavy stuff. You're going to get like tight. And like, and so like that held me back for a long time because I get to college and like, I'm playing against like at least a few like grown men, right. Who are like strong. They like throw pretty hard. They're, they're just like, they're better athletes than me. And I get there and I'm like, man, I'm starting from a real deficit. So um, when I get there, I had, so I had a good fall, but it didn't start out that way. So my first outing of the fall could not throw a strike. Below was down. Like I just overall sucked. I called my parents and I was like, I don't know that I want to play baseball. Like this doesn't seem like it's for me. Like it's not going, we had like 50 freshmen coming out for the team. He's going to cut a bunch of guys. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe I just want to transfer to a bigger school and have fun. Um, so I started, I got into the gym and I was like, screw it. Like I've always wanted to lift heavy. I'm just going to do it just cause. Um, and so I ended up, I kept going to practice and stuff like that, whatever. And it got better. Obviously I didn't get like stronger right away. That wasn't like the, the reason, but I was like, hey, man, I can do these things simultaneously. Why not, like, start reading about this? And I didn't have a TV my freshman year. So all I could do when I wasn't doing schoolwork was, like, read or browse the Internet or whatever. And I happened to find um, kind of serendipitously uh, an Eric Cressy article in, like, men's health or men's fitness, right? It was about um, 
uh, Tim Collins and how he had gone from like 84 to 97, right? As like a 5'8 dude. I'm pretty sure I read that same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I was like, shoot, man. Um, If somebody with like, I probably less overall athletic ability than me, right? Because I was like 6'2, I was like 185. Like I was a reasonably good athlete. I was like, I was like, if he can do that with those levers, why can't I do that at my size? Like, if I just train that way, right? So we I, might be the same person, by the way, because I'm yeah. 62. I was 185. That's hilarious. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so I just basically read everything I could starting then, um, and I hadn't I hadn't ditched the distance running at that point yet. That took me another couple of years, but um, <laughs> but I was like training really hard. I was I would be in the gym for like too hard i'd be in the gym for like three hours a day and then i'd run on top of that and then i was trying to long toss like five times a week because i found alan jager stuff um so i'm doing like all of these things together and just kind of seeing what sticks just like kind of experimenting um and so i would like go through periods where like i'd have really good results and then i'd break down and like feel terrible my velocity would dip like i would just just like be in like a bad spot and then i have to kind of like redo everything again so it just kind of took me like I don't know, self-experimenting with that. And then when I got out of college, I went and played in this like pay for play winter league in California because I knew nothing. So like, yeah. So my college coach at the time was a part-time head coach. And then his full-time job was as a, um, uh, like a financial advisor. So I uh, was a super nice guy. Like, like I said, gave me a lot of freedom, which was awesome. And that's what I was looking for. Um, but he didn't have like, connections that a lot of college coaches would have had to like set me up maybe to get in front of some guys to throw or like whatever. Not that I was good enough at the time. Uh, but so I went out there and one of my teammates happened to be Houston and he had trained at Ron Wolforth's place for like ever. Right. So I get out there, I have like some okay outings. I have some terrible outings. My velo is very up and down, blah, blah, blah. He's like, Hey man, why don't you come stay with me for a week in Houston? We'll hang out. We'll train at the ranch. Like we'll do all this stuff. It'll be great. He's like, he's going to help you throw harder. He's, he's a guru, which at that point I didn't know enough to like be skeptical. Cause like, I don't think anybody should be seen as a guru, but I was yeah. like, dude, this is going to change my life. Right. So I went, I went down to, I drove to Houston from California when the league was over and I stayed with him and we went out to the ranch and I used, I literally had like, I don't remember how much it cost, but whatever I had left in my bank account, that's what it cost to be there for that week. So I was literally dead. Like I had to get my parents to send me gas money when I was coming Oof. back. It's like, that's how broke I was coming back from Houston to Maryland. So we stay there for a week. We train at the ranch. We do all the mechanical analysis and stuff. Um, we trained with this dude, uh, Eric Binder, who I think works in the Indian system now, or he, he at least did when he left there. Um, great, great guy. Like helped me out a lot. Learned a bunch, go back. And I'm like, all right, so I'm going to put this into action and it's really cold in Maryland. And so I'm like throwing into this like tarp net thing in my parents' garage um like every day like i'm taking the drills that i had with me and like doing them back at home trying to like make these changes and doing a lot of like dry work doing like a lot of things to try to like whatever i can to make me look like roger clemens or trevor bauer like that those were like kind of my models with those two guys um so everything i can to do that and it's like i feel like i'm banging my head against the wall so again i still don't have a radar gun at this point so like i don't really have any objective feedback i'm just like oh it feels good it doesn't feel good blah 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 whatever no like real set plan um still training too hard for my own good and so by this point i'm also a personal trainer so i'm like kind of taking what i've learned from eric cressy and those other guys and trying to like put it into action with like a lot of general fitness clients are pretty much what i'm training at this point and i'm training enough to like support myself and then hopefully be able to play so i could be like i'd wake up i would train all day 
I would train some clients. I got to train myself all day, train some clients in the evening and then go back and do it again the next day. Um, the whole time I'm like bouncing ideas and sending videos to my buddy in Houston because he knows way more than me. Um, and so like kind of going through this process and I end up playing in the Pecos league that, that um, spring, right. Cause I'm, I'm setting all like my baseball resume videos, so, like all these different coaches, like, Hey, give me a shot. Uh, because I, by this point I'm up to like touching 90 maybe. Uh, but I never touched 90 when I was in college. So that took me till after college to even get to that point. Sending all these coaches videos, whatever. And finally two guys um, offer me spring training spots. However, there's a snag because the guy who runs the Pecos League, the commissioner, I don't remember his name, um, but he had an issue with the California Winter League because he felt like I, I, they had wronged him in some way. I don't know what it was, but basically he was he was like, nobody from this league can come play in my league. So, uh, we can, by the way, I, you don't have to be so PC on here. We know it was Andrew Dunn. That's Andrew his name. Dunn. I could not remember his name. Andrew Dunn. The yes. guy who owns the Pecos League, he's yes. he's he tries to be a nice guy, but he goes a little bit off on his distance, you know, on his, yeah. on his yeah. uh, business stuff. He uh, so little small timeout when I was was so we played in the Pecos League at the same year. Uh, pro, you know, we never crossed paths, but we were on different teams. Um, uh, the video that I found when I was researching the Pecos League was him running into the middle of a brawl between Roswell yeah. and someone else with a chair yes. yelling. And everybody looks at him like, who's this five foot six guy with a chair in his hand <laughs> trying to break up a fight? Which, yeah. by the way, wasn't really a fight until he got in with it. Yeah. And everybody turned on him. So anyway, continue. Yeah. So so I so I call him. Right. Because these these two managers are like, look, you need to talk to Dunn. And I was like, OK, cool. So I remember I vividly remember because I'm I was still going to like practice at Stevenson, finding long toss partners. And so I'm out of practice at Stevenson. And I get a call back from Dunn because I left him a message. And excuse me. And he's like, look, you know, this isn't this isn't like an issue that I have with the players. I just have an issue with that league. And I was like, yeah, but you're not punished. Like they, the league already has my money. So like they're not being punished by this. Only I am. Like this is just affecting me. Like I'm looking for a place to play. I don't really have any other options at this point. Like I had talked to a couple of Frontier League teams, but that didn't really turn into anything. I was like, I'm just looking for a place where like I can like hopefully – develop which is like the wrong attitude to take to indie ball because you just have to go out and shove or you're getting released <laughs> um and so he finally like after a couple of phone conversations i convinced him to basically he was like i'm gonna fine you ahead of time and then you can come to spring training if you make the team cool if not that money's just gone so whatever wait, wait, so wait, he fined me fine you yes yes oh exactly. my for, See, like, that's the, uh, for something that's... i didn't even know that you could do wrong right so so he does that and um and uh so i go out there i make the team right and i get into like one of like our first few games and just like shit the bed like just <laughs> brutal right i i walked like the house i gave up a, i somehow got out of the inning but like and this is where, God what, what team is this with in the pecos league by the, uh, way? the raton osos so we were in this like small town of like seven thousand people in like what used to be from what i heard it was like coal country at some point and basically all those jobs left. So then it was like almost a ghost slash really poor town. Mm -hmm. um, so we didn't have host families because no one could afford to house us. So we stayed in this, we stayed in this busted uh, motel and uh, we had like now, five guys in a room. Was the motel in Trinidad or was it in Raton? No, it was in Raton. It was in Raton. Okay. So, yeah. So, so Trinidad was like 15 minutes from us yeah. maybe because they shared our practice field, um, which was a high school field. 
with a cement wall in right field. So, yeah. yeah. Which, um, by the way, by the way, for everybody at home, the nickname for the Pecos League is the Drive Yourself League. That's yes. what we came up yeah. with. <laughs> yeah. No. So that was that was a grind. Um, and then, so like a couple days later, after I had that really terrible outing, our team didn't have a GM either. By the way, so Dunn is running our team. I think some of the teams may have had GMs. Ours did not. Um, <clears throat> so anyway. Our manager, we're at breakfast one morning, just like random. There's like a Sonic around the corner. Me and some of my roommates are there. And our manager happens to be there. And he calls me over. He's like, hey, Ansman, come on over here. I was like, oh, this can't be good. Because it's like three days after I had that outing and I hadn't pitched again. And uh, he's like, hey, just got the call from Dunn. Uh, you're getting released. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, that's – so I called him. And I was like – because my manager had just told me. He's like, hey, I didn't want to release you. He's he's kind of forcing my hand, whatever. It's like, okay, cool. Um. So I was done. I, I called done. I was like, look, I just want to, I just want to try out for some other teams. Like there's gotta be other teams who need pitching. Like I had seen some of the other guys throw. I was like, I throw harder than these guys. Just give me a shot. Throw for some other teams. Like I begged this coach, like when he was going to be in town in return, I stayed for like an extra three days, like the motel six, like on my own dime. I was like, I'm going to wait and I'm going to throw for this coach. I threw for him. I threw fine. The guys who were on the team were like, man, you throw pretty hard. I was like, thanks. And the coach was like, I got what I need right now. And so I looked up those team stats and like the guys had like a 15 ERA as a team. And I was just like, you know, like whatever it is what it is. So I went home, started training again and up have like the same kind of thing, like up and down in indie ball for the next couple of years. And then I kind of decide like, man, I just need to like develop more than anything else. So like really put my head down started trying to do that. I met with a th- this really awesome physical therapist in uh, Philadelphia. His name's Phil Donnelly. And he kind of like, he's, he's one of the guys who kind of started um, the idea that like elbow pain comes from some other place, probably up the chain. So like uh, some kind of scapular issue can lead to elbow pain. He's kind of the guy who started that. He worked with Kurt Schilling uh, when Kurt Schilling was with the Phillies. Um, so he's like, he's, he was awesome. Um, so I worked with him for a while, ended up, and then I was like, hey, like I want to get like a more um, like in-depth kind of like training experience, went down to the Florida baseball ranch. And that's where I fully kind of got into this because I never really thought that I would train athletes on the sports specific side, like on the throwing aspect of this. I always kind of thought I would do more of like the Eric Cressy thing and train guys and like the lifting aspect of it. And then I'd probably hire somebody else to do the throwing specific stuff. Right. But so I go down to Florida, learn a bunch of stuff, train there. I end up getting up to uh, like 94 miles an hour, which was like huge for me. I was like, man, I can like really do something with this because like I still was not where I wanted to be like movement wise. And I knew that. And the other guys I was training with knew that um, I ended up, I went to some workouts and that's when I decided. Um, uh, well, actually, so before then I reached out to Ben Brewster who runs trad athletics. Cause he's from the same area as me. Um, and I was like, Hey, like here's some video of me throwing hard. I'm looking for a team, whatever. And he happened to be, this was like right before Christmas in like 27, 2016, 2017, 2016, I think. And he was like, hey, man, I'm going to be in town for the next couple of days. Let's throw and work out. And I was like, all right, cool. So we went and trained at this place uh, that had, like, these big turf fields and stuff. Uh, it was really awesome. And I throw. He sees the velo. He helps me with some things. Um, he's a super smart guy. So he's kind of informed a lot. Like, he, he informed a lot of my training at that point in terms of, like, what I needed to do throwing-wise. Uh, because he came from more of, like, a driveline background. I was coming from more of, like, the Florida and Texas baseball ranch background, which are similar but different in like some of their ideas. Super cool. Let's come back to that because I have a lot of questions about those cross. Yeah, for sure. Because I really feel like that's huge on the internet right now. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, no, no, I'm continue, continue. Please, oh, sorry, this okay. is amazing. Yeah. Go ahead. So, yes. <laughs> so he kind of helped inform my training. Like this whole time, I'm kind of like working on, uh, I'm, I'm just basically working enough to support my own training habits. Like I wasn't thinking about building a business, whatever. And then I met a physical therapist in Baltimore who was the physical. So I was, man, I'm skipping around. Sorry. It's okay. Uh, you're feeding the addiction. That's where you're on. That's what it yeah. is. Like yeah, for everybody so exactly. at home that doesn't understand, like, so what's really cool about Tyler and I are kind of the same boat, except for I came from an injury situation. You know what I mean? And so he's basically, I, or help me, help me with this. You are trying to do everything you can to acquire as much knowledge as you can to get to the big leagues, right? That's the exactly. plan. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So like I was never at that point, I was not thinking like, I want to run a business and I want to help other athletes do the same thing. I was like, it would be cool to make sure that no one makes the mistakes that I've made because I made a lot of mistakes along the way. Like I got, I got hurt in college a couple of times, just like doing dumb stuff, just like my training was bad, right? I could have made this process a lot quicker if I had known like what I know now when I was in high school, right? I would have yeah. made this road a lot. Like if I threw 94 when I was 18, I wouldn't like, I wouldn't be having to like grind to find a team. Like I would have had some kind of affiliate team at that point, or I would have had more college options, like just whatever. Totally. Um, but I wasn't thinking about running a business or helping anybody at that point. So um, I'm just trying to like get as good as I possibly can. So I end up, when I come back from Florida, I take this job uh, as one of the strength and conditioning coaches at um, Loyola University in Baltimore, which has, uh, they won the uh, national championship in lacrosse for division one in 2012. Um, so I took an assistant strength coaching job there. Um, and through the other strength coaches, I met this physical therapist in Baltimore. His name's Yoni Rosenblatt. Um, and he was the physical therapist for team Israel in the world baseball classic. Um, so he hits me up one day, like randomly on the phone. It's just like super excited voicemail. I had no idea who this guy was. He's like, Hey man, like I heard about you through Mara, who was one of my coworkers. It's like, I I'm really excited to talk to somebody about baseball. There's not a lot of this in Baltimore. Like come down to my place. Let's talk. And he happens to have an office like two blocks from my house. So I was like, all right, cool. Like I'll, I'll come down there like before lunch one day or something. Go down there. I talk to him, kind of telling him what I'm doing. Like basically like what I went through with you. And, uh, and he's like, man, why aren't you like, why aren't you running a business that does this? Because he's, he's, he's very like, uh, business minded, right? Like he's, yeah. he runs a, a pretty, a pretty significant physical therapy business, um, in the area. So like, he's, he was thinking about this, like, why don't you do this? Nobody else is really doing this around here. Like this could be a big thing for you. And I was like, no, cause that'll, I, what I told him was like, I'm basically trying to burn the ship. So I have no other options, but to make it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, and so he was like, man, like I basically told me like, that's stupid. You can do both because like, they are so close. They're like, assuming you leave enough time for each, you could do, like, I'm not trying to be great at two different things. It's really the same thing. I'm just kind of helping other people be great along the way. Um, so I, I, I kept learning, kept talking to Ben, decided I was going to do the journey to the show thing, which is a blog that I started that basically just kind of like chronicles my training from like not having a team to trying to make it to the big leagues at at the time, 26 years old, now 28. Um, basically, the thing is trying to throw 100 because if I if you throw 100, it doesn't really matter how old you are. You could be 50 and like a team will probably sign you. So allegedly, been, allegedly, yeah, allegedly. <laughs> um, so that's been kind of the thing. And then, like in the last, like about a year ago, um, I really got into like kind of building Tyler Ansby performance. And so I've also got like I write content posts for my site as well, not just like blog posts about me. Um, because I was like, you know, I really should probably do something to make sure that like kids in the area aren't doing the same dumb stuff that I was doing, like going to pitching coaches who are like, Hey man, 
Like, let's make sure we get to the balance point. Let's make sure we do like all of this stuff that like just doesn't exist. Like training with like a more scientific approach, I thought was probably the way to help these guys and like give them some objective data. Like it's, it's pretty hard to train. We don't even have a radar gun. Right. So like I can help them with that at the very least. It's pretty hard to train when you don't know what you're supposed to do in the gym. I can help them with that. So like I started in the beginning, I was just training guys in the weight on the weight room aspect of it. So like I would, I would lay out their whole training program for them based on the time of year, based on like when their showcases were like all that kind of stuff and then go from there with it. And then kind of, as I built on that, I, I have changed gyms and spaces and stuff like that. And now I have space where I can have guys throw. So now I also have the sports specific aspect of that in there. So I have guys coming in to throw and lift. Some of them do remote training through my online stuff. So I have guys all across the country, some guys in other countries. Um, and then I have guys even in Baltimore who do a combination of like in-person and remote stuff. So they'll, you know, maybe they come in and throw with me a couple times a week to check uh, and make sure everything's like going well. We could talk about like what problems they're having in training or what's, what's really awesome about it and yeah. go lift on their own, all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of where I went with that. Um, and I'm still in the process of training myself. Um, but yeah, so you're still chasing it. What's that? Still chasing it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, the people ask me this and like, they're like, Oh, when are you going to stop? Like, you know, try and play and just like focus on like the business part of things. And I think that when it stops being like fun and I can stop taking like the grind and the disappointment of it, because like with, with training, right. Like, especially when I'm trying to throw a hundred, like there's, there's, yeah. See, so you can hear the siren. Outside. Okay. Uh, Sorry, man. It's called real life, man. It's no big deal. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, so yeah. So like when, like trying to throw a hundred, like there's, there's days, weeks, whatever, when I have stuff go wrong and it's just like, man, like this sucks, but it can inform my training going forward. So like whenever it stops doing that and just starts becoming like too much mentally for me to be able to deal with where it's just not fun anymore, then I'll probably stop. But like, I don't want to stop until I get as far as I actually think I can get, which is much farther than I am now. So like I threw 94 at that point, did not really know what I was doing. I know what I'm doing now. I've laid out a training plan of like benchmarks basically where I need to be. And I feel like if I follow that very worst case, it informs my training for other guys going forward. Cause I could figure out at least what didn't work for me. It doesn't mean it won't work for anybody, but like what was good, what was bad. That, and I can kind of evaluate it along the way. Man, um, I think there's value in training myself while I'm training other guys too. So dude, I, I totally agree. I, I, I think you and I, what's crazy. I think, cause I'm from Florida, so I'm an East coast guy too. I, I feel like we've done the exact same thing. And this is like the first time we've had a conversation. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I found your, your blog a long time ago about, you know, uh, you know, journey to the show or something that, that yeah. sparked something I, I felt that I don't know why my camera's not focusing on me, but <laughs> oh, well. oh, well. Um, but dude, that, that's super exciting. You know, I, I believe we are actually doing the same thing. You know, a lot of my stuff that, that I teach my guys and when we're doing training and, you know, I've been business, I've been business oriented since, you know, before I got into the Pecos League and stuff I was doing because um, I broke my elbow my senior in college, um, uh, short arm action, short circle. Um, my coach swindled me, basically. Um, yeah, he got me. He told me that I wasn't throwing as hard as I thought I was. No radar guns. Um, I, so, and I played a summer in the Valley in between my junior and senior year. Okay. And I had some scouts come down to my pro day, my senior year after the Valley. 
And one of them pulled me aside and I don't remember what organization he was with, but he was like, Hey man, what happened? And I'm like, what do you mean? Cause I was pumping. I thought I was pumping and we get on, get me on the radar gun. And I was like 87, 88. And he's like, what happened? And the, I don't know what you mean. And he's like, yo, this summer I saw you throw, bro, and you were like 94, 96, and now you're like 88. So what's going on? And I was like, huh? Like what? Like I don't – and, you know, in, in in those Valley League games, we were, in a, we were on a small team in Woodstock, and that's a high school field that <laughs> – I call it the Superman field because center field – like the football field was long ways in the outfield. So center field was the shortest distance at yeah. like – 260 like 250 from home plate and then that the gaps and the lines were like three 380 like it was yeah. the most ridiculous field i've ever played on and uh you know multiple ridiculous home runs and situations but what i did like about it is that you had to you had to learn how to strike dudes out like if you didn't strike someone out there was going to be a flare because <laughs> everybody's going to stay up the middle and try to hit a home run and um that was really super cool about it but you know the the long arm action you know me i'm i'm 63 now and uh, about 200 and just long arms and and you know things that guys do and stuff and going through the you know the, the phases of throwing and stuff and i just really the the physics side of things and leverage and stuff really made sense to me on how to create power with within the kinetic chain and rotating and and you know long arm actions which in the internet right now there's this back and forth of short arm action, long arm action. Uh, you know, I kind of call it the natural arm action where you're, you know, when the, when the hand starts going down out of the glove, wherever you feel like down is, you know, and, and just not back. And when I see a lot of your videos and stuff, I really see a lot of the same stuff of what, you know, you and I kind of throw similarly on stuff. You, you're a tad bit more, um, I don't, you know, really know what terminology you use, but I would say a little bit more pre-scaffolded with, with yeah. the hand trying to get in there, you know, uh, um, but it's real cool to see how you're going about it. Cause it's, you know, it kind of mirrors my story as well as trying to, you know what, yeah. let's just figure out the best way to do it for you. And then maybe some of the things that I think about can help somebody else, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the thing with like what you were saying with the long or short arm action, like I don't, I don't think that guys need to be put into one, box necessarily right some guys have longer arm action and do really really well with that long arm action because they they have maybe longer levers or for whatever the reason it's just kind of their natural um path and then other guys have shorter arm action and do really well with that i think it's a matter of like the positions that you end up in right are, are kind of what matters so if you can't get to like this horizontally abducted position from a longer arm action for whatever reason then you may need to shorten it up if you can then it's probably not a big deal um, but I think that guys who have naturally long arm actions and are successful with that, you don't necessarily want to shorten those guys up to make everybody look the same, right? We have these kind of like these windows of where you need to be throughout the delivery. And as long as you get to those points, it's probably not a big deal exactly how you get there, right? I mean, we want acceleration forces to act on the ball for as long as they possibly can. So if that means you have a long arm action, that's cool. If it means you have a short arm action, that's cool too. Whatever works for you is is kind of the thing, right? The more success you have, the less changes you should make. So I totally agree. Totally agree. So that let me let me go on that little point right there. I've come up, I don't know if I heard this in a physics argument or whatever, but there's something there's a formula that I've kind of come up with, and it's exactly what you said, but just a little bit more on the layman. Because if you say force application of acceleration for as long as possible, right? That's that confuses a kid. 
in my yeah, opinion. For sure. And so like I, I like to rephrase it almost in another physics term, but I've almost come up with a formula. So you being a hard thrower too, tell me if this makes sense to you. Distance of acceleration equals velocity. Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, yeah. I think I think I think one of the things is is that's like kind of informed the way I've thought about this is uh, like the golf swing, right? Because I think that <clears throat> golf has been big into technology for a really long time, yeah. and I think part of the reason is because you have a lot of people playing it who have disposable income. So like they're they don't they don't mind taking a two hundred dollar golf lesson when they can use the track man or whatever, whatever tool they use to kind of look at that. And they don't, they don't mind uh, paying this instructor. who has got a lot of valuable information, a lot of money to go there. Whereas like the parent of a baseball player, they've heard like these old school coaches talk for so long. They're like, well, it's really this simple. What if, if we just give them verbal cues, they'll be able to make it happen. And like, that's not for 90% of people, verbal cues aren't the best way to go about those things. Right. And I think golf has known that. And they've known that, um, kind of going over objective data is more helpful than just yeah. telling a guy like, Hey, we want, we want that, that club head to lag, um, in order again, to, to let acceleration forces act on the club head for as long as possible, rather than just saying that to somebody and then being like, I don't know what the hell that means. You, you give them specific like segmentation drills to kind of speed that motor learning process along to get them in better positions. Cause like if you physically start them from some kind of constraint, and there's only really like a couple of ways they can go to complete this task, then they'll get to those positions on their own rather than you telling them that. And they're like, ah, okay, but how? Do you know what I mean? Like exactly. you can look at a picture and be like, man, I wish I threw like a roll disc, but like, how do I really make that happen? You know what I mean? So, so if you've been following my stuff, there's, there's some preset constraint drills that we've been doing and I kind of call it the K drill. So if you can imagine uh, one foot balance, lead leg one inch off the ground. So all your weights on your back foot, and then we put the arms in what we call the natural position or what I call the gun. So where the front arms extended and the arms down from where we threw it. And then we just feel the momentum of the body and then just throw the ball. So that's exactly the constraint thing of what you're trying to do because we're trying to create a timing mechanism of where the arm is up to just throw the ball. Just feel like all you have to do is step and throw. But where I see a lot of timing issues is where guys don't get to this position consistently. So we're just trying to create that motor learning like what you were talking about in order to get there to go. Because I believe in, you know, I've kind of come up with a couple things and, and you know, I wanted to bounce, like you're, you're a fellow thrower too, so I wanted to bounce some, some things that I try to um, get guys to think about. Like, you know, not necessarily cueing like you're saying, but like, hey, if we try to stay inside of these movement rules is what I call it. That way they kind of take it more seriously, even though it's not really a rule is number one, both hands move at the same time, right? When the glove goes in or down, the ball comes up. Number two, both arms never cross. And I know that's something that you guys kind of go over with right there. And I'll explain that in just a second. And then number three, both hands pass the glove hip loose and fast. And when we try to go through those movements and everything, that's where I see really consistent location and velocity at the same time. So we take that, pair that with the video with the radar gun behind them and be like, look, I can show you when you do these things, the radar gun goes up. And when you don't do these things, the radar gun goes down. And so we're trying to go about it a little bit more scientific and like, OK, we're just trying to get to these positions in our throwing as a pass through, not necessarily as a stop. So a lot of people, I get DMs all the time, like, why are you starting with people's arms like this and this? And I was like, you're trying to learn the feeling of when you rotate what you're trying to feel. Does that make yeah. sense? Do you agree with that? Do you, are those, do those kind of sound like something that you. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think whatever, whatever constraints you give somebody, right. So it's different based on the part that you're trying to segment. So like, for example, um, if you want to segment uh, hip and shoulder separation, like whether you call it a roll in or a walking torque, depending on what background you come from, you may call it a different thing. But basically what the drill is, is when you're walking, your back foot stays pointed straight ahead the entire time. So you've got your preset preload or pre-rotated hips, basically they're already facing your target. And mm-hmm. the only place that you're going to get any kind of rotational power from is from your thoracic spine. So you have to be, you have to kind of get this feeling of rotating against these fixed hips that can help with like a hip and shoulder separation. If we wanted to, if we wanted to work on, um, you know, uh, specifically kind of maybe rotating over a firmer front leg, I think that the rocker or again, rocker or torque, they're called two different things, but they're the same drill, um, where you're kind of rocking back and forward over that, over that front leg. It will, it will generally naturally do what you want it to where you're kind of getting this like basically, um, hip hinge position into that front hip and you're still internally rotating around that fixed point. Like I think simplifying the thing, it would be like if you wanted to teach a, uh, like a snatch or a clean and jerk, right? Like a complex Olympic lift, which I don't use, but just as an example, um, you would teach it in parts. You wouldn't just be like, Hey, we're going to snatch off the ground today. You'd be like, Hey, we're going to do a snatch from boxes or we're going to do, you know, an overhead squat or like whatever it would be. You're going to teach it in, in specific parts Mm-hmm. And you're going to break it down like that. I think, I think throwing is the same thing. Like if you just have guys throw from the mound all the time, you're, they're probably not going to make their changes. Like there is this kind of like camp of people, I think, who think that intent will just kind of like naturally organize the body. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think that's the case all the time. Like there are certainly some guys who are like naturally gifted who like probably don't need to do that much to be really efficient with their movements. Yeah. Uh, but there are other guys who just by like throwing hard all the time, they're not going to get to the positions you want them to get to. And they're not going to see the best results they possibly could. Um, so like for those guys, it's really important that you break it down into like chunks basically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, and, and so that brings me to, you know, what we were talking about inside those rules. Um, <clears throat> so rule number two, that's what, something that I've seen with you with throwing is, is, and so especially with your advanced physical therapy and your, your body knowledge right there, there's something, you know, and just trying to be layman with it, you know, um, shoulder crunch is what I call it, which is where you get both shoulders that kind of roll in together when you're throwing. And I see a lot of that with guys that tuck the glove. Cause when you tuck the glove, this shoulder, the front shoulder stops, the right, you know, the throwing shoulder continues to go. And I see a ton of pressure and tension that goes into the shoulder, especially the front and the back with guys that do that. And that's how I kind of came up with that. Both arms don't cross, you know, um, it's safe to say, do you agree that the shoulders work like a helicopter? If one moves, the other one moves, right? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think so the way I think we're saying basically the same thing, but so the way, the way that I think it needs to happen, right. Is, is when we're talking about like segments, segmenting movement, when one segment stops, the next segment starts moving. Right. So like, for example, when your front leg stops movement, we get that front leg block. Yeah. Then your glove arm can finish when your when your glove arm stops moving and gets to like basically that tucked or folded down position then your throwing arm accelerates over that. But like one, one piece can't be moving if the other piece is moving and then have the best results possible, right? Because basically the way the energy is transferring is that when, when one piece is moving and then stops, it's transferring that energy to the next piece and then that piece moves and the next piece moves and the next piece moves. So I think like the, one of the easier examples that I've seen is if you know who Paul Nyman is, 
Yeah. Uh, the set, yeah, set pro. So he, he had an example where it's like your, your hips are a pickup truck. On top of that pickup truck, there's a merry-go-round. And then on top of the merry-go-round, there's a Ferris wheel. So you're basically moving, you're rotating through three different planes of motion. And that's like the most efficient way for it to happen. But again, each of those need to stop. So the pickup truck needs to slam on the brakes and the merry-go-round will go around and then the Ferris wheel will go. So like, mm. I think each piece is moving on its own once the piece before it has stopped. So is the, mer- is the Ferris wheel one-armed or two-armed? So, <laughs> um, yeah, so it's... So it is, I, I speak the same, that's what I'm saying. I can yeah. speak the same language. That's just, because in my opinion, that's where I think, because like you throw, you throw out a roll this out there because I love it, right? Like I, my opinion, I don't think the people, when we're looking at a lot of these guys do it, if you look at a Hicks, you look at a, a Raldis, or you look at like a Severino, right? You look at these guys, they do that dump truck Ferris wheel, or dump truck merry-go-round Ferris wheel. Love that analogy. It's beautiful. Um, but I see just a little bit different with those things where, you know, positive, negative movements up, down, that it almost has to work like a fidget spinner. And that's how I describe it as a Ferris wheel, an offset Ferris wheel. And if you have a Ferris wheel, there are two sides to it that kind of rotate together with it. Sure. You know what I mean? And so yeah. that's where even myself, and I notice, especially with a lot of my guys, I see a lot of pain and issues with guys when, and that's kind of like the debate on everything with there. Because I see guys that glove tuck or fold or, and I just call it, you know, if the bicep activates, the front shoulder stops. If the front shoulder stops, the throwing shoulder will propel forward more. But because of how it does it, then you run into issues with the, the throwing shoulder and accuracy for what I see. So so I think – so the, this, I do agree with you the shoulders need to work together, right? So basically when we get – your glove arm is going to be internally rotated as long as possible, right? Mm-hmm. We want that. And then when it externally rotates, that's when we're going to get to that cocked position with yes. your throwing arm. Right. So they, they are one is setting the other one off. I was mm-hmm. just saying that I don't think they're like one is stopping before the other one fully accelerates. So totally, we want, yeah. we want yeah. late intent. Right. So like when we're relaxed, 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 and then bam, then it's like max effort at as late as possible. Right. We yeah. want relaxation and then intent. Yeah. Um, but to with with your point, I think it I think it depends on on the guy in terms of like what's causing pain, um, because I do think. So we need to be able to uh, kind of go from like a uh, scapular retracted position to a protracted position. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly if this is where like the assessment kind of comes in handy, if, if guys can't like successfully move through these ranges of motion without a baseball in their hand, then mm-hmm. like when you add velocity to that equation, then you're probably in for poor results in terms of like injury or velocity. Yeah. And let me correct myself. I don't mean pain. I mean, tension. Yeah. like okay. tension to me is bad. That's where like the looseness and the quickness of the body moving fast, like you're saying. So we're trying to, we're trying to stay away from resistance in rotation, which is yeah. what I call with, with tension. You know what I mean? Yeah, and so, for sure. so, and then the byproduct of that, of what I'm saying is when I see guys abruptly breaking because of the front side blocking on the glove side, that's where I see guys we're having that are having, you know, outside of the shoulder, anterior shoulder, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, and that, that's just all been on my own throwing my own research and stuff. And that's where I even see with videos of you throwing and stuff. And I'm like, mm, okay, this guy has high velocity intent too. He rotates well, he does a lot of stuff, but I just see that, you know, and that's something I look for with guys, with big league guys who, because I feel like mechanical timing directly affects velocity and location. And we try to treat that as one thing. For like, sure. 
throwing as hard as you can where you want to for some reason is just weird to people like they don't (laughs) they don't think that those things line up very well and i'm confused about that because you i'm sure you watch what i see all the time and when we look at these giant dudes throwing the absolute poop out of the ball they're trying to throw as hard as they can to a four inch spot and that is extremely hard to do but they do it you know yeah i mean i I think that velocity and command can be trained simultaneously like for sure like there's there's never really a time in training whether it's a general or very specific spot that you're not like throwing to some specific point like when you're throwing your plyos when you're long tossing like whatever i mean certainly when you're doing like max intent cool downs or something like that like your spot becomes much more general right it's the entire net and you're just throwing it as hard as you can because to some degree throwing to a location will drive intent down a little bit so like if we're if it's just a max intent day then like go nuts but certainly once you get to your max intent day off the mound then like at the very least you're throwing to like a command trainer or something like that so you've got the whole strike zone maybe but you've got a spot it's not like you're throwing yeah. you know somewhere in this building like yeah. you can train them both together and they, yeah. they should be because in a game you need to throw at max intent and you need yeah. to throw to at least the general spot the strike zone so okay okay so can i can i ask you to try something next time you go pull down super hard like when yeah. you when you're outside in that awesome field that you're at uh-huh. Um, something I took the idea. So we were Alan Yeager guys. Do you remember the video of Bauer when he was like 16 or 17 pulling yeah, down 97 and he's throwing to a catcher? Yeah, that's my concept on the whole thing. We actually put a ball on a tee or we have I squat down just a little bit or getting like an a frame stance and the goal. And I've seen guys go up. In, you know, opposite of because that would make sense, like for what you're saying, like if you're trying to throw to a spot, you know, you're going to you're, you're probably going to slow down to try to get it right. Well, that's where I use the radar gun to be like, all right, you, you know, I got a, a sophomore in college right now pulls down 98 and he's like 94 off the mound. And he throws so much better in his week when he does his pull downs at like we, we try to get we, we go about 25. So we we have him start at 30 yards and they get 10 yards to create your energy and they need to try to throw it at the 20 yards, which is basically 60 feet. And then I'm down there with my glove and they're trying to stay within my chest with my glove to try to throw it to me. And they're going to miss, they're going to do everything. But when they go to their bullpens later in that week, I see a much better down in the zone, harder, more aggressive throw because of what they felt when they were trying to go. So I challenge you, I challenge you next time you just try it, like see, put a ball on a tee behind that net, you know, try to stay at that 60 foot range or 55 feet really, you know, for the stride length of what you're trying to do and see if you like it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, I think there's definitely benefit in that. Like I think, so I think it's kind of like with, with the running throws, for example, you'll see guys like a really long run up and they'll put up like amazing numbers and that's awesome. However, like your sprinting speed and your run up directly affect the number on the radar gun. So there's going to be lower transfer of that to the mound than there would be if you just did like a step behind or like a one or two step thing. So I would see what you're saying in the same way that I would see that really long running throw. Yeah. Um, so I would do, if, if guys want to do a really long run up and they, and they can do pull downs effectively, then eventually what we'll start doing is we'll start paring it down until we get closer and closer to like that direct mound transfer. So like yeah. same thing with what you're saying, maybe the first like couple of weeks they're pulling down, I wouldn't use the catcher situation yeah, but exactly. from there. Absolutely. As you're getting more specific, I see no reason not to, because eventually they're going to have to be able to throw to that general spot. So, exactly. And then we, we actually go even one step further and go shuffle. So I call it, 
there, there's three different versions I call it. You got your run and gun, which is your run and throw, right? I call it step shuffle fire, where they start square and they go back foot first and then into like a pivot and a shuffle fire and then a shuffle fire. And then what we're really trying to get to is where we go four scene, two scene cutter, all your high intent fastball pitches to a spot. And so if we can kind of put that together, you can kind of teach somebody what you're trying to feel in order to really maximize throwing the pitch and executing it to throw as hard as you can to make it move how you want to yeah. because those high intent pitches i don't feel you know when you get into that bullpen situation and your pitching coach is right behind you you just see a different kind of fear you know what i mean like don't yeah. miss don't miss don't miss instead of like let's see what happens like you know i, I try to tell guys all the time like you know how many times you've missed on a fastball up and the dude's still swung at it like that is important to understand that pe when you look like you throw hard and you are deceptive with the ball, people will swing at bad pitches and For it's sure. entirely okay. You know, yeah. you do not have to live down in the zone all the time. I couldn't tell you how many times, you know, I made it all the way to the highest level in Mexico. I couldn't tell you how many times you go to rip a, you know, a good fastball. Oh, one or one. Oh, you miss completely high and the guy still swings at it, you know, yeah. and, and you're like, all right, I got away with one. But instead of, you know, demonizing that thing. You're like, all right, cool. That was that, that kind of works. You know, the, um, I want to say, um, so I, I had an opportunity when I was in Mexico to play or, or to, um, to talk to, um, um, Osuna from when he was with the Blue Jays uh -huh. and he was talking about when they were going after the Red Sox, one of the things that they did on purpose was use this high, low philosophy. And you can see that the Red Sox kind of used that against the Dodgers tremendously. They're intentionally throwing fastballs right above the zone. And then pairing it with that breaking ball or, or split or whatever to come right back. And I think it's just a tremendous sequence that nobody, you know, really utilizes all the time. You, you see guys that put the string in front of the catcher and they're trying to say, stay below the string. And really, I, in comparison to this launch, the launch, egg, you know, exit velo era, you're just throwing it right into the batting zone to what they're trying to do every day. You yeah, know? I mean, I think, I think that one of the things that, uh, like this, this era of data has done for us is is make people realize that like not everybody needs to pitch down in the zone all the time. Yeah, like one of the things that that spin rate and all those things have, have kind of shown are that like some guys are better off pitching up in the zone with certain pitches. Some guys are better off pitching down in the zone with certain pitches. And then kind of what do we do like pitch sequencing wise to like make ourselves as effective as possible? Whereas like before pitching coaches were just like, hey stay down in the zone, you're going to give up bombs. Like that's not exactly how it works. So I think that's, that's one of the benefits to having all of this information now that we have and all of the new tools that we have, like a rap Soto and things like that to kind of show us what pitches are effective in what areas and why, and which pitchers are more effective pitching in different styles. Kind of and thing. for that guy, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Like absolutely. that individualized, I can't wait to get one. Like I'm saving every penny I got to try to, <laughs> I got way too much stuff. Going on. I'm getting married in May. We're trying to buy a house. I'm trying to save for a rap soto. So yeah. I imagine I'll be getting one for a couple months, whatever, but I 1000% want one because sure. it's just too easy to prove things to guys, you know, absolutely. like, you know, and, and, I'm sure you throw with your guys too. And that's one of my, when we go through our training, we have a lot of days where I throw with the guys where we're like, all right, we're trying to work on your pitches, work on your spin, trying to make it do stuff. And and you probably have as much experience as I do throwing as far as like trying to show guys. And it's kind of funny. Sometimes you throw a cutter, you throw a curve or whatever. And they're like, well, like, what was that? And I'm like, oh, that that's what it's supposed to do. Like, it's, 
that's just what it's supposed to do every time, but you just never thought of it that way. You know what I mean? So that's all. So what pitches do you throw, by the way? Uh, so right now I'm like purely working on fastball velocity, but in the past I've thrown a four seam fastball, a changeup, a curveball, and a slider. Um, honestly, we gotta get you cutter. We gotta get you cutter. Like just, it's literally the easiest pitch to throw. I think, in my opinion, you know what I mean. Yeah. I mean, I think so. Honestly, going forward, I'm probably gonna simplify that because, like, realistically, if I get a spot, it'll be as a reliever somewhere, right? So I'll have probably two pitches. Like, I'll go like fastball slider, probably something along those lines. Please, please, coming from the so when I was in Mexico, one of the biggest things that the guys told me that they hated about me was that I was fastball cutter. I was fastball, hammer, slider, cutter, right? So yeah. and using all of those planes out of the same tunnel, and they just – guys just complained that they couldn't see – because everything that I try to throw is white. I try to have white spin on everything, four-seam cutter, slider, curve. Everything I want is white so they can't see it. But that was the biggest thing they said is, is I can't see what pitch you're throwing. Everything looks the same out of your hand. It's the same color. It's the same spin. Yeah. And the – what I call the ladder of velocity is so much more devastating than the gap of velocity. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, I mean, more power to you. If you want to learn it, by the way, kids, you can go on my YouTube channel, learn how to throw my cutter and all my pitches. Shameless plug, not worried about <laughs> it. We'll get Tyler being Cutter Nation before you know it, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool, man. Awesome. So, um, you've gotten to this point, you're a badass trainer, you throw the crap out of the ball. What what trends are you in right now with your throwing stuff? Um, you know, as far as what what do you like right now? What what really feels good to you as far as you're throwing? Me personally? Yeah, you personally. So I'll be honest with you, I've taken like kind of a step back recently um, in what I'm trying to do. And uh, because I like to bounce ideas off other people like Ben and in the past, uh, like I was telling you about Phil, um, Feel well, free to send some stuff too, man. I'd, you know, I'd let, if you want to debate on it, I love yeah. debate on all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, so, so I, I'll, I'll ask those guys a lot of things because I feel like there's benefit to getting an outside opinion on like my own training. Because totally. like I'm very confident when I'm training other guys, like, hey, what I'm doing is at least mostly right. Like no one's no one's got it 100% figured out, and there's certainly trial and error with everything. But like once I make a plan for somebody, I'm like, okay, we've got this on the right track. We'll tweak it as we go as needed. But like I'm. With whereas like with myself, I'm like, oh man, I could really do this, and like, oh, but should I be doing this instead? So like, I like to balance kind of what I'm thinking off of other people. Um, and one of the things, like one of the things that I've had an issue with is like kind of sequencing my movement, right? Like at this point, I'm strong enough, my power numbers are good enough, like all of my like general fitness qualities are like more than where they need to be to have me throw as hard as I want to. It's the sport specific aspect of it that is not where it needs to be. So at this point, it's a matter of like sequencing things up better. Um, so I was having a conversation with Ben about it. And so I'm kind of taking a step back and going more specifically to like my upper body and arm path movement to get that more where it needs to be. Cause some of the problems I've had in the past are like not significant enough, um, uh, like T-spine rotation, uh, not significant enough horizontal abduction. So like basically a, a stretch on my pec, um, those kinds of things, like when I'm throwing. So I'm trying to work on those specific aspects and then I'll start piecing it together. Um, because I, one of the problems that I've had in the past are like, I always kind of have these like false timelines for myself, which like at this point, it doesn't make any difference whether I'm 28, 32 or 40, like the goal is the same. And if I don't come at least close to that goal, it probably doesn't matter because that's what it's going to take to get signed. Um, 
so having like, oh, I want to be ready for spring training. Like, what good does that do me if I'm throwing 93? Like, I need to throw 98. So, wow, um, so awesome. I'm taking, I'm, yeah, I've kind of taken a step back working on like those specific things. And then I'll start piecing it all together, um, which I think was like a good, Ben has much more of like a, like a, uh, a rational mind than me sometimes. Like it, I tend to get too emotional with my own training. Yeah. Like, whereas like when I'm looking at other guys training, like it's, Oh, like clearly you need this. Cause I get, I get a whole training profile on guys. So yeah. like, you can very easily see what their needs are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like trying to do the same thing on myself, I'm like, yeah, but like, I'd really like to do this instead. Like, that's just a dumb way to do it. Um, so having, having someone to talk to about that other than just like me doing it myself is, is very helpful sometimes. So, yeah. Cool. Well, like I said, if you if you want to send some stuff, we'll yeah. we'll, we'll chat off air and, and I'll throw some ideas to you and some stuff. Cause I think what you just said and yeah, it's, it's, I, I don't know. I think I can help or at least start your brain on some stuff. Yeah, you know for what sure. I mean? I'm, um, always, I'm always happy for more information. Hang tight for one sec. I do have to grab my phone's about to die. So let me grab. A, okay. Cool. Sounds good. Sounds right. good. Yeah. So I'm just going to keep talking too. Um, Tyler, that, that, that is some great information. Um, you know, I totally understand where you're at with that. You know, it's kind of cool that we've kind of been in the same boat and like that. And that's where I really got into the training side of guys and, and, you know, just wanting to help, wanting to create pitching gangsters, guys who understand that you should be in the mindset of in your backyard playing against your buddies and just trying to strike guys out. And that is the most fun thing to do for me. And, if you understand that, feel free to send me a DM and we should chat about striking guys out because it's always strikeout season in my head. It really is. It's so much fun to just get in there and strike dudes out. And literally, that's all I ever want to do. Like, um, uh, I've been fortunate enough to, now that I'm over here in San Diego, I can basically call a guy if I really am getting that competitive itch and go pitch against someone in Tijuana. And, and if, if that's what I feel like I need to do and get that competitive edge out, then all I do is count strikeouts. I don't count walks. I don't count. I don't count any of the media stats that don't make sense because every pitcher who's played the game directly knows that your ERA is the biggest waste of time because you cannot field the ball. Your ERA is not even about you. It's more a direct reflect of your defense and their execution because five hot ground balls to the second baseman that somehow turn into a hit really upset you. You know, in, in the Pecos League, as you probably know, everything everything's a hit in the Pecos League. For so sure. it is it is one of the biggest frustrating situations to, you know, trying to be the best pitcher possible to get out of there when the the people who are running the book and the stats are just like, oh yeah, um ball hit the guy in the face and um he threw it away so that's a triple like what no (laughs) no 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 it's not that that might be a single with an error you know and that doesn't mean that that run is earned i'm so like it just people don't you know it's just people don't go deep enough into those rules there's so many rules in baseball and thing that's why you know i judge outings for myself and with my kids to this kind of formula and this may make sense to you but if what we're really trying to do when we're playing the game is we're trying to strike out one guy in anything. If you can look at the big league guys who, if you go over to Scherzer, Kershaw and all them and look at their season, those guys that go through stuff, they strike out more than one guy in anything. So if we give these pitchers a goal to try to go out and be like, it's not that you're trying to strike out everybody. It's just when you get two strikes on a dude, 
do not let that guy off the hook because if you're going to validate your seasons and what you're and what you're going through with with your own personal you know analyzation of your programs it's just so much easier for you to go through and just try to strike guys out because once you get to that point everything's good is that something that you agree with or is you know this this is the first time in major league baseball history ever we've had more strikeouts and hits and i'm just like yeah no kidding it's, yeah. it's obvious you know yeah yeah i mean i think i think it's become more of a focus because it is something that's like within your control right i mean there are like advanced stats now like like FIP and things like that to kind of show pitching performance better than like ERA. Um, and, and I think that strikeouts are a valuable um, kind of statistic for showing a, a pitcher's individual performance more so than like you said, ERA or certainly wins and losses. Um, I mean, I know there was uh, a lot of debate this year about uh, from some of the older sports writers about Jacob deGrom's candidacy for, a Cy Young because of his win-loss record, which is insane um, because, like, clearly he was at least one of the two best pitchers in in the league. So um, the fact that his win-loss total would affect his uh, ability to win that award is insane to me. And I think we still have some people thinking like that, but there's so much more information available now um, that I think we can kind of get past that and kind of show more effectively what individual performance actually looks like. Yeah, I totally agree. Like if in the sports writers probably never play the game at a high level and never had a win vultured from him from the freshman yeah. <laughs> who came in through a terrible changeup, the guy rolled over to a double play yeah. and then they hit a walk off and he vultures the win. And you're like, what? you know, like people just don't get there's things that are out of control of a guy who, you know, really invested a lot of time into the game and all that stuff, you know, like for sure. It's just it's just how the game is kind of designed right now, and I I don't really see it getting changed, but it is what it is. So yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, you got anything for me, man? You got any questions or you know anything that you'd like to to bring up? I don't know. I mean, we could talk about lifting a little bit. We haven't really talked about like any of like the general training aspects, I guess. Yeah, um, go ahead. Um, okay, so I mean, uh, I think that <laughs> ultimately, like the sports specific side of things is is probably the most important thing like if you had to pick one or the other which we don't have to pick so i would never pick that but um that gets the best results overall uh but i think that a lot of guys and thankfully the training culture is changing around baseball but i think that a lot of guys have benefited just from like some simple strength training um and that's kind of one of the things that like i said is is changing because when i was playing in like high school and things like that i had you know um uh, baseball coach is telling me like, oh man, if you, if you lift too much, like you're going to get tight and like, you won't throw hard. And like th those things are objectively not true. Um, and it's really awesome that we know that now we can do uh, more things surrounding training like that. I mean, do you got, do you have certain things you guys go through in the weight room? Oh man, we, so the new gym that I'm at, so my progression of business history over here is I started off at one facility that was really more like a batting cage and, and I kind of rented out from there. And then I transitioned to a, another batting cage situation with a little bit of a gym for a travel ball team. And now I'm actually at a gym and with a turf area and, you know, and way more strength based on what we're trying to do. Um, you know, all my, all my guys that come in, you know, depending on, you know, I, I kind of have my business model based on days of the week, not even like hours or anything like that. Like you just come in at this time. So the times that I schedule guys are times that they do their throwing. Um, with, and I know that I'm against the norm. I a thousand percent believe in year round throwing. 
just because of the guys that I played with um, in, in the Latin community. The Dominicans and Venezuelans and Mexican guys that I played, um, played with that through year round never had arm issues through hard, but they controlled their power output and understand of what their body is. And that's the education side that I try to give with guys. I think that with what you're saying with strength training and all the throwing that if you're not throwing while you're lifting, for example, like guys that are af afraid to do bench press and some other stuff to be, to get too tight. I think the throwing, maybe even not high intent really keeps the shoulder joints and the chest and everything loose, even when it sucks you know, the recovery days that we kind of go through at low intent on stuff really help stuff. And if you're honest with yourself, which is what I try to communicate to my athletes about how your body feels, then you can throw your round. You just have to be smart about it. Sometimes you need a couple days because the shoulders, this and there. So we attack it with different modalities, different massage, you know, the jigsaw massage is tremendous for all our guys. I love that thing. You know, um, I'm not sure if you have one, but it was the best investment. It's, we got, I got the attachment on Amazon for 50 bucks and then you buy the $20, you know, you buy the $20 jigsaw gun and now you have a $500 piece of equipment for 70 bucks and it's yeah. huge. And I understand the training side of what guys are, you know, saying about, you know, you need time to, to build things up and this and that. But me personally, when I did it this way, I saw the best results when I was able to get up the highest I ever got to when I was rehabbing back. Cause you know, like I said, I broke my elbow. I missed three years when I rehabbed all the way back. And when I was able to get down to Mexico after the Pecos league, I was still in 96 and I completely attribute it to listening to my body, you know, long tossing, you know, pulling down, but being smart about it, trying to go on like maybe an every two or three day situation, you know, my numbers, strength numbers were, through the roof also with all that. And so that's where I saw, you know, okay, when I did this, this, and this, I was the strongest. I threw the hardest. I located the best. When I didn't do that, I wasn't quite there. You know what I mean? And so yeah. for me, when it, once I was not able to train like I do, like I could you know, as far as like time and, you know, just, it just got too hard. You can't train and work at the same time. And, and, you know, you're trying to do that right now yourself. And it's, you know, you know, it's difficult. So that's where I was able to be like, you know what? I made it to the highest level. You know, I got told at 94, 96 down in Mexico that a free agent throwing 94, 96, who's never played affiliated ball will be extremely difficult to get to affiliated ball. And, you know, there's, it comes down to vouching. And that's what the the scout told me. He said, I don't know of how many guys are going to put their name on you as a free agent, never playing affiliated ball, even if you're pumping 96, just because they can't project you because they don't know who you are. As soon as that was told to me, as I'm sitting next to Sergio Romo and Oliver Perez in our winter league, that and they're calling me first out of the pen, I'm like, I think I'm okay. I think, you know, the wanting to be a big leaguer didn't even hit me that I was a big leaguer in another country. Like, it just didn't process you're on tv you're kind of the guy and down there with all that stuff and that was a very hard thing for me to understand but i was able to be like i made it like i did do it like i, I made that side of it and then there's just so much fun as you probably know teaching these other kids how to do you know i got like 10 and 12 year old kids that understand pitching throwing cutters throwing change-ups fastballs high and setting guys up and they just go out and just absolutely dice guys up and then they know how to recover afterwards they know how to communicate hey i'm a little bit more sore here and here and you know we need to kind of use the so right which is that thing's awesome i don't know if you've seen that thing but 
it's this we call it the devil tool because it looks like little devil horns you know and it's this hard piece of plastic and it's it's really cool so you know it's the training is just so tremendous i i agree with you a thousand percent you know you know a lot of the kids start very early with me and when you get done throwing we're going to do some arm care we're going to do some legs we're going to do some core general specific strength stuff you know and really just make it to where you know a goblet squat, you know, a step back lunge, you know, a step up, those, those basic strength training things for eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 year olds is, is just, they're just not stable and strong enough. And if we can get that basis of strength, you know, before they hit those, those stages of puberty and everything, I just, I just see too much positivity in that side of it. Yeah. And people that deny that side, they're just, they're not seeing what we see, you know, and it's almost, yeah. go ahead. Okay. Uh, I think to I think to kind of go on your point about the year-round throwing, um, that's it's definitely a super individualized thing. Um, there certainly the higher levels that you go to, the off season gets shorter and shorter. Um, so having time off from throwing becomes more and more difficult if you actually want to make progress in the off season, right? Yeah. So I think that a deload can be effective for some guys in place of actually taking any real time off from throwing. So. You kind of monitor the intensity, you monitor the volume, all those kinds of things that you would normally monitor and you just kind of keep them at a what would be a relatively low level for them for maybe a couple of weeks. And then it's a shorter on-ramp process to come back from that before they get to like higher intensity throwing to work on whatever specific thing is their goal for that offseason or whatever specific couple of things are their goals for that offseason. Um, and as far as the lifting goes with that, uh, you were talking about like bench press specifically. Um, I don't know if you meant barbell, dumbbell, whatever. Um, I don't do a whole, like, I don't do any really barbell bench pressing with any of my throwers, um, just because they can't go through, like it stops you before you get to a full range of motion. Right. So you don't get, I keep kind of talking about horizontal abduction, but it's an important range of motion for throwing. Totally and, agree. and if you stop short of that, that full range, right. We're not, we're not gaining strength in those end ranges. We're not gaining comfort in those end ranges. So it's, it's really, that's when you're losing mobility, right. If we just continually train through partial reps, the same reason I don't like floor presses for throwers. Um, Like if we're training through partial ranges of motion, we're not, we're not gaining range of motion or or maintaining the range of motion that we already have. Um, And then on top of that, for some guys, specific soft tissue and mobility work can be super helpful for maintaining range of motion and mobility as well. Um, Because that obviously plays a part for a lot of guys. Like some guys naturally have insane mobility and they don't have to do a whole lot to keep up with it. Like that, like Tim Linscombe, I'm sure he didn't have to do very much soft tissue work or specific mobility to keep up with the crazy range of motion that he had. Yeah. Um, but like maybe he would have benefited more from some strength training earlier on because what happens is when you have like a significant amount of laxity like he did have and then you don't have strength and stability on top of that, as you get older, you can produce less force yeah. and produce less force quickly, which like ultimately is what throwing a baseball is, right? Producing a relatively low amount of force at a very fast speed. Um, so if you don't, if you can't produce a normally high amount of force and then you don't have stability on top of that, it's like kind of hard to maintain your performance and health like throughout a season, which. Yeah. And when I say year round throwing, I really just mean throwing. I, I, you know, I want to specific that, you know, I think there's different phases of, of throwing. I think there's throwing, there's long toss, there's shuffle fires or max effort, and then there's mound work and then, you know, pitching stuff. And when I mean throwing, like when we're going into a summer off season or something like that, we're really trying to attack some long toss, some shuffle fires, you know, and, and build like what you're saying, you know, I'm, I'm huge fan of long toss. We've got a, 
I've got this huge public park over here that I'm so it's so awesome that it's five minutes from our facility. And and a lot of the times, you know, Mondays are end up being our long toss days and we go out after a nice weekend of having a couple days off, getting a good warm up and everything and just letting it eat for as long as they can. You know, um, with my long toss, what I've seen, you know, and what we're doing with measurables is I want to see how far for how long that I can throw the baseball, you know, like. You know, once I feel once I feel the distance start sub, you know subtracting too much, then okay, I'm good. You know, and and those numbers is what I try to count. So, you know, if it's I think the other day I got to a um, uh, I was so two different versions of throwing. I, what we're trying to do is what we call one footed throwing, which is balancing on that back foot and then just trying to see how far we can go with that. I got to about 105 yards with that, and then on a shuffle throw, I got to 122. And so that showing that to the guys that are training with me in the high school and the college area is they, they, they're amazed at it one, but it makes sense to them that they understand what we're trying to do with that. You know what I mean? Is that something that is similar to what you guys are trying to do when you go into long toss? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that, so first off, I don't necessarily have everybody long toss. Like I think that's again, an individualized thing. Like certain guys won't do well. Like if you have a sidearm guy, like he's probably, True. Not long toss. So I, I may not have him do that. Um, some guys are uncomfortable doing it. Some guys don't like the way, and some guys really love it. So um, I think it can benefit a lot of guys. I, I, in for the most part, I think it's a, it's a great tool, but it's just a tool like everything else. Yeah. Um, and I think that just like with like the strength and power numbers where there's kind of like these baselines where we definitely want to have guys. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I think there's that exists with long toss as well that you want to have guys at a certain level before you would see like these certain velocity numbers. Yeah. Um, so I think kind of bringing all of these baselines up is something that can benefit. So that's just like another, another like objective data point that we can have is like, Hey, you, you got to 300 feet today. Like we probably need to go a little bit farther than that. Let's try to get to, you know, 302 the next time you long cost and, those guys, and try to kind of make improvements as you go. Yeah. while letting the guys know that it's not like a linear process. Like you're not going to go from 300 feet oh, yeah. to 301 feet oh, yeah. to 302 feet. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. just like your velocity isn't going to go straight from 90 to 100 miles an hour. Like there's going to be a lot of ups and downs. You might throw 86 one week. Like it sucks, but like it's part of the process. You need to kind of like take all of that for what it is, which is like another piece of information and let it inform how you train, recover, whatever you need to going forward. Yeah, um, exactly. That's 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 such a great point. We So – in the same being honest with yourself and individualized, you know, there's guys now that's one of the biggest things that I try to establish from the beginning is like, Hey, you're, it's, it's not, it's not a straight line. Okay. There's going to be days that we go to long toss day and you're, you just don't feel good. Right. And it's up to you to not push through that to, okay, Hey, you know what? This is just one of those days. Cool. Cool. Right on. It's no big deal. We're in the summer. It's not, it's not supposed to be like that. Let's figure out what's going on. Let's see what's tight. What's not, do we got to do a trap release? Do we got to do, you know, work on the, the scap? What is at the back of the shoulder? You know, there's things that, you know, point to these answers and things that we try to get through. So, yeah, it's that's a, it's a great point. You know, I, I don't have a sidearm guy that we kind of go through long toss. So that would that was a great point. I appreciate that information, you know, because I unfortunately one year freshman year of college, they dropped me down. I threw sidearm and I hated it. So, you know, it's even in the Pecos League, there was a couple of times I broke it out on guys and dropped down through it. I used to throw a Frisbee slider down there. And you remember how to do it a little bit. And, you know, I think I, think I might have done it like four or five times and 
maybe like twice did it work. You know, they're like, yeah. I hit, you know, I hit a guy, yanked it too far, you know, and stuff from there. So I totally get that. That's, that's a great, that's a great point. You know, the individualization of, you know, that's really what I try to push over here is like, just because I can throw it 122 yards doesn't mean that you can't do it. It's just that I am ahead of you in the strength numbers and all yeah. the stuff. And that really brings me to another point, you know, with, Dr. Heenan really putting his stamp on this 90 mile hour per, 90 mile per hour formula that you do see the strength side of things. When you look at his formula, there's one agility number, and really that's that long toss number. It, everything else is strength based, and you know I don't look at it as a formula like this is how you train. I look at it as like metrics that you measure by, and that makes more sense to me. Is that? It, it, do you agree with the formula? Have you checked it out? Have you put it on yourself? Um, so I haven't. I don't know the exact formula. I know he has like a reverse lunge, is like a strength number. He has like a body weight number, like all those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, I think as a general rule of thumb, like that's probably a good idea to kind of have those numbers. I don't know exactly what his reverse lunge formula is. Um, he's kind of modified it a lot, but it's like, it's two and a half the body weight. So, you know, you're still counting. The, the thing that sounds weird about that is it, you count your body weight to it. So, you oh, know, you do. yes. So I'm okay. two, I'm 200. And he's saying that that means that I would need to step back lunge 450, you know, like total weight. So I need to put 250 okay. on the bar yeah. And then step back lunge with it. You know what I mean? So I that, say, that might make this like, pound reverse lunge. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, That's where people don't. Yeah. I had to ask him about it too. I'm like, bro, you're, you're making this confusing because yeah. yeah. people like, don't understand it a lot. You know? Yeah. yeah. Nobody's, nobody's reverse lunging 600 pounds to throw hundred miles an hour. Okay. Exactly. So, I mean, yes, I do think that strength plays a big role in uh, performance in, in pretty much any sport. Baseball is no different. Uh, I, I think that how you get there can be different for different guys. Like I think that unilateral work needs to be a part of it. Specific um, like scap stability work needs to be a part of it. Specific rotator cuff work needs to be a part of it. Um, like I think you train like overhead throwers are a special population relative to other sports, right? Like, um, like I said before, I, I don't have my guys barbell bench press. Uh, for the most part, my guys don't back squat. Um, but again, like how you, how you get them there is a totally individualized thing. Um, so it's not to say that no one would ever back squat, but just for the most part, I find that guys can't comfortably get to that position of like external rotation while holding on to the bar. Um, and like, you'll notice that a lot of times like powerlifters who obviously have to back squat for their sport will complain about after a back squatting day, like significant elbow pain, which would be obviously a pretty big issue for throwers. Like we don't want to limit what they can do sport specific wise with what they're doing generally in the weight room. Yeah. Right. So like strength is going to be the secondary thing to the sport specific stuff they're doing anyway. So we wanted to kind of help what they're doing on the field. So like, for example, one of the reasons that I don't use Olympic lifting is because <clears throat> I don't think the risk reward is worthwhile. Like the, the catch and all the other things that can go wrong during that movement just don't really make sense to me. Yeah. And then kind of within that, within that, there's also like these other things that you have to think about, like the speed of the bar. So you need to have something where you can measure the speed of the bar uh, because that's very important for the power adaptations. Because ultimately, if the bar is moving too slow, we're not doing what we think we're doing. And Brian Mann wrote a whole book about velocity-based training, um, which, is, which is awesome. Um, and he kind of talks about that in there, that like one of the things they were doing when he was training guys was 
they were they would test like their their hang clean or their or their power clean against their uh vertical jump and they'd be like man like guys aren't improving like what's going on and they were just doing their hang cleans too heavy so the bar was moving too slow where it wasn't actually improving this power output number on their on their vertical jump yeah uh, that's one of the other things you have to and then on top of that there's so much teaching that goes into it that if you have which you pretty much always do with athletes you have limited time to train them and kind of make these changes that it doesn't really matter how we get to that strength number right it just matters that we help them gain strength or help them gain weight or whatever it might be so if if we need to help them gain power uh maybe a trap bar jump is a better choice than a hand clean for those guys because it takes way less to teach that right yeah, it's, it's pretty sure. easy and they can immediately be making uh, you know, changes to their, to their body and their power output, just like that right away. Whereas like with a hand clean, we've got to go through technique and while they're learning the technique, they're really not doing anything to help develop their power. So like, it's just kind of a whole, it's like three steps back for maybe one step forward, which ultimately then you've lost ground because if you have six weeks to train a guy and you've spent four of it teaching him a new lift, like what have you really done for him? So I think that's, I think that's one of the, one of the big things. Um, cause I do have other athletes. I don't, I don't have just baseball players, but certainly that is a very special population, even relative to the other sports. So. That's, that's great. Yeah. My, um, my partner that, uh, I'm just starting to work with, uh, Cass, um, CK Soto baseball on Instagram. He, he and I debate that all the time because I feel the exact same way. Cause it, he wants to teach a lot of these things really specific. And I'm like, man, I just, I just feel like there's a more efficient, almost dumbed down way to really teach because baseball players to this point where I'm learning, I don't think that they need to know the science behind all this stuff. I think it's, you know, like you're saying something simple, like a trap bar jump squat, you know, where it's like, this is not something that has to be difficult or this could be yeah. simplified, you know, and, and, you know, we have safety bars at my gym. So, you know, we do step back lunges with the safety bar Absolutely. and we put the pad down because everybody cheats. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so like, and, and that's where I'm like, I, I just don't care if they hit the pad because as long as they're keeping their weight on their front side in order to feel in the, feel it in the leg, we're still going to get most of the beneficial side of it, you know, and the eccentric and the other stuff that go into it. I just feel like the more simple that we can keep it, this thing with these guys and try to use these generic words and everything that they understand, you know, they don't yeah. need to know the frontal plane situation. We just go like, go sideways. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. explain it into this layman, you know, try to, you know, one, I have a degree in advertising marketing. One of the things that made so much sense to me when I was in school and I try to apply it to my teaching now is everybody's a kindergartner. Yeah. Like not everybody's a, a 12th grader, but everybody was a kindergartner. Right. So I try to explain things in that kindergarten type situation, yeah. numbers, colors, shapes, and it just makes it so much easier to make progress on things so much faster for, um, when I'm trying to explain things and use verbal cues based on video and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important not to talk over guys' heads. Um, like they need to know what they need to accomplish and they don't necessarily need to know more than that. Certainly if they want an in-depth explanation, like by all means, I will give it to them, but I'm not going to necessarily tell them why if they ask, I will, but if I'm not going to necessarily go through their whole program and tell them why I chose each individual movement or drill. If they're like, Hey, why are we doing this? I will absolutely tell them and I'm more than happy to. And I like it when guys kind of question what we're doing because it means like they're not just going along with what I'm saying. They're they're thinking for themselves and they're realizing like, hey, this is their career to kind of take control of. They shouldn't just be leaving this in the hands of someone else. Like they need to be be thinking with like uh, an inquisitive mind about like 
why are we doing this? Because eventually they're going to be not training with me. They're going to be at college or they're going to be in pro ball. They're going to be wherever. And they're going to need to be able to like kind of take what the coach is saying and kind of like weed out what's valuable and what's not. Um, and kind of go from there with it to make sure that they don't kind of get in the situation like you were talking about earlier, where like we're going from like 96 to 88 because their coach was like, Hey man, I don't like what you're doing. Like yeah. you need to, you need to kind of know for yourself what's valuable and what's not. Yeah. So. Cool. That's great. Well, dude, we killed it for like an hour and a half and I'm excited because yeah. that was super easy and I really appreciate your time. I know how valuable time is to people. So we'll start wrapping this up. Why don't you tell everybody, you know, one more time where you're at in Maryland, how they can find you online, the website, you know, give us the spiel real quick. Okay. Yeah. So uh, you can find me at Tyler underscore Ansman on both Twitter and Instagram. Um, and you can find me at my website, which is tyleransman.com. Uh, I put out, I also have a YouTube channel, uh, same deal, Tyler Ansman. Uh, I put out videos, uh, content videos, throwing videos, all that kind of stuff. Um, on my site, I have both my journey to the show blog, which like kind of basically is a log of my training, what went well, what didn't, that kind of stuff. And then I also have content posts that I put out. Like I have one about why my throwers don't, bar, don't barbell bench press. I have an arm care do's and don'ts. Um, I've got some other stuff that I'm about to put out about uh, weight gain and things like that. So, um, Feel free to check out my site. Drop me a DM on uh, Instagram or shoot me an email through my site. Sick. Sick. You guys heard it. Go check him out there. We'll put a link in the stuff. Tyler, man, much, much appreciated, man. It was, it was really fun. You know, it's crazy. You know, it's the, the world of baseball and, and I'm not surprised that we, you know, played against each other and kind of had the <laughs> similar stories and went after it. Good luck to you, man. If it, you know, like I said, I, I got to get you a cutter, you know, the bare minimum, <laughs> It's if I when I explain it to you, you're gonna be like, "That's it," and I'm like, "That's it." Like I just the the quickest the the quickest amount of throws I've had somebody learn it is two, like two throws, and they're like, "That's it." I'm like, "I swear to God, that's it." Like the you know uh, I've just done so much research on it, and I just can explain it kind of easier. So hang on after this, and I'll grab a ball and we'll talk about it for a second. But guys, don't forget, uh, go in there, follow Tyler. You can go on my, please subscribe to my YouTube channel. Also, don't forget, you can go shop my website if you want to get some awesome gear. I'm getting more hats made soon. Um, you know, new shirts coming out, strike out everybody, pitching gangster, all the good stuff, all the good phrases. There's not enough pitching shirts out here. This whole drop bombs, you know, the, the hitters are leading the era in the, the catchphrases, and I'm just not going to have that because Stuart Scott is my hero, as cool as this other side of the pillow. For all you guys, the late great, don't forget to go check out Can Nutrition. We got their creatine, we got their protein, and then my other guys, where to go? Here we go. My must have fallen or something. But anyway, Focus Factor with um, Body Armor, those guys up there. So I really appreciate everything, man. And and uh, once again, you know, uh, if you need anything, you know, let me know. I'd you know, love to bounce some ideas off you. And if you bounce some ideas off me, feel free to DM me or anything there. But I really appreciate you coming on here and and um you got anything else i think that's it man thanks for having me appreciate, right, it. appreciate it you guys one last thing don't forget throw hard <laughs>